things more wondrous than, than we can possibly imagine. I hope that as time moves forward, these are the end times, folks. And as time closes, as we move forward to the end, that we as God's people would be awakened to the idea that everything we've seen, everything we've heard is just the tip of the iceberg of what God is desiring to do, what He can do, what He wants to do. Amen. That excites me. I've heard some pretty fantastic things. I've, I've, I've heard of amazing things. I've seen amazing things. But it doesn't scratch the surface of, of what God is capable of doing. What He desires to do. Amen. Let's all stand. Let's call out to this great, big, huge, mighty, wonderful God. Amen. That His perfect will would be manifest in this place today. Lord Jesus, You're an awesome God. We worship You. We delight ourselves in You. The God of our salvation. Hallelujah, Jesus. We laud and we magnify You. We heap glory and honor unto the Most High God. Lord Jesus, You are the King of kings, and You are the Lord of lords, and You are the Lion of the tribe of Judah. It is You who raises up kings and sets them down again. It is You who declares times and seasons. Hallelujah, Jesus. It is You that we worship today. It is You that we bow our knee unto. Hallelujah, Jesus. Because You are sovereign. Because You are the Lord Jesus Christ. Because You are God. Hallelujah. Let the name of Jesus Christ be exalted in this as well as every place today. We laud and we magnify You. We are so thankful for this opportunity You've given us today to enter into the presence of Almighty God. Help us, Lord Jesus. Help us to esteem it greatly. Help us to understand the weight, the magnitude of what, of what You've allowed us to do to enter into the very throne room of God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. We will touch You. We will be touched by You. We will hear Your voice. Hallelujah, Jesus. And we will receive of You all that You desire to do. We will receive it. We will take possession of it. We will own it. We will accomplish it. In Jesus' name. Lord Jesus, let Your hand be upon each and every person here today to bless them, to heal, to save, to deliver, to restore, to provide, meet every need. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. We worship You. We worship You. We worship the King of Kings. We worship the Lord of Lords. Hallelujah, Jesus. We will magnify You. Hallelujah, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for entertaining the presence of God. You can be seated. Our youth class can be dismissed at this time. Amen. By way of review, last week we talked about being overlooked, being ignored. 1 Corinthians 1, 26-29 says, You see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Who can relate to that? I can. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. 
God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and base things of the world. And things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in His presence. Amen. God chooses those whom He will use and for His reasons. Many times that individual would be our last choice. We look at someone, we look on their countenance, we look on the way that they they dress, or the way that they speak, or the way that they smell even. We're like... That guy's not going to do much. But God might have different plans altogether. Folks, every person, no matter what they look like, no matter how they speak, no matter how they smell, was created in the image and likeness of God. Jesus died for that individual. Jesus has plans and a purpose for that individual. He does. Great plans. Wondrous plans if they would simply give their lives to Him and submit themselves to His plan for their lives. I believe that God has a special place in His heart for the overlooked, the ignored, the passed over. I think He does. Amen. Talent, charisma, connections all mean nothing in the kingdom of God. God can supply all those things and so much more to His chosen person. Those are irrelevant to the plan of God. What God desires is to find someone available. To find someone wholly submitted to Him. Obedient. When God finds that individual, He can pour in everything else. God has an abundance of talent. He has an abundance of resources. An abundance of wisdom. Amen. All He needs is for us to say yes. That's it. And then God can take over from there. God doesn't choose based on our qualifications, but on the condition of our heart toward God. We read in 1 Samuel 16:7, The Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Even Samuel was ready to anoint Eliab when he passed by. You ever go to the man of God, your pastor, an elder, and explain all of these great and wonderful things you feel like God wants to do in your life? And they're like, yeah, let's wait on that. Let's calm down a little bit. I've had that happen. I know what that's like. A lot of you have too. You know God spoke to you. You know God is desiring to do great things in your life. Now, timing, of course, is a thing. Joseph wasn't ready to assume his place at the number two in Egypt right when he got those dreams. He had to go through some things first, and so do we. So, fair enough. But, I think the proper response is, man, that's fantastic. Let's get you there. Let's move you from where we're at, wherever that is, to where God is wanting to take you. Instead of, "Eh, I just don't see it, dude. 
man of God is still a man. He's still a human. And uh, as long as that individual is listening to the voice of God, well. But as soon as he starts to get his own ideas and opinions and his own biases in there, well, now we're on a slippery slope, aren't we? It's God that does the choosing. It's God that does the directing. So don't worry about looking the part and don't worry about promoting yourself in God's kingdom. We don't need to worry about stuff like that. Simply be the part that God is calling you to be. Be spiritual. Love God. Be available when He calls on you. And let God take care of the rest. Amen. Daily devotions. Day one, God is sovereign even over our emotions. Absolutely true. We might be fearful or stricken with grief or angry or or bitter or whatever the emotion may be over God's commandment or over uh, circumstances we find ourselves in for obeying God's commandment. But we've got to learn to trust God even over our own feelings and emotions. I know those feelings are powerful, folks. I know they're strong and they seem so real. The emotions are real. But they don't always represent truth, do they? They certainly don't. The Word of God always represents truth. The Word of God always brings us back to center line. Amen. General George Armstrong Custer, being dead yet speaketh. His prideful obedience cost the entire seventh calf and him their lives. He was better than having to obey orders. I can just do this right now. He sure did. He sure did. Saul's prideful disobedience caused an entire nation to suffer. And if we're not careful, our prideful disobedience will cause suffering. Not only in our lives, our families' lives. Those around us. Those that we have influence over. Amen. None of us are an island. Every one of us has influence in somebody else's life. We need to be aware of that. We need to respect that and use that wisely. Our families, those we lead, cannot afford for us to live in prideful disobedience to God. Amen. Day two. The Pacific Railway is known as the first transcontinental railroad, but it failed in its purpose. It was exposed to blizzards. It went through some pretty remote terrain. So it was not conducive for the purpose it was created for. But they got it connected. So all the papers were praising the Pacific Railway. They got all the attention. The second transcontinental line, the Santa Fe Railroad, they were able to accomplish what the others could not. And because of that, tourism, settlement in the West boomed. But they never received the same accolades as its failed predecessor. If you feel overlooked or less because you don't receive the same acknowledgement as others, please don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. The acknowledgement is not what we're seeking. The acknowledgement is not what we're after. At least it shouldn't be. All I need in my life is the approval of God. That's all I need. If God approves of what I'm doing... If God approves of the things I've decided not to do, I'm golden, folks. I'm golden. If I'm not receiving accolades because of something that I sacrificed or something I did for the Lord Jesus Christ, 
Fantastic. Jesus knows what I did. Jesus knows what we've sacrificed. That's the only person that matters. I don't need to know what you've done. If I do know, I'm going to say something. Because I appreciate that. And I think it's give honor to whom honor is due. I love doing that. But if I don't know, and I don't say anything, or if someone else doesn't know and they don't say anything, it's okay. Jesus always knows. And Jesus is always pleased. Amen. Who are we seeking to please, folks? Jesus Christ. Success is based in our faithfulness to the commandment of God, not on acknowledgments from men. Amen. Day three. Just because God, God did it that way before doesn't mean He'll do it the same way again. He doesn't have to. He has infinite possibilities in front of Him. He can do it better. He can do it greater. He can do it more exorbitant, more extravagant. Man, I want to see that. He did it this way in the past. I'm thankful for that, but I want to see bigger. I want to see more glorious. That's the God that I serve. As Christians, we must never judge a book by its cover. And we kind of talked about that earlier. We look at an individual, we kind of make preconceived judgments about the individual. That's a sharp-dressed guy driving a nice car. Man, yeah, he'd be great in the church. He'd be great in the kingdom of God. He'd do great things for God. Someone on the street begging for food. Eh. That beggar guy, though, he might have something in here that God is looking for. The guy driving the fancy car and wearing the fancy clothes, chances are pretty good he's got nothing inside that God's looking for. Amen. Let God do the judging. Let God do the choosing. Day four, the Wright brothers had difficulty finding investors simply because people could not believe men can fly. They flew. They did it. No one would report it. If they did, it was like in page 35. Why was that? This is huge news. This is big news. No one would believe it. It was kind of like, yeah, so-and-so saw a UFO. They really did see a UFO. There aren't UFOs, folks. <clears throat> they, they don't exist. I can, I, can, I can give you a Bible for that, too. They're definitely spiritual beings. They're definitely spiritual beings, but there aren't, there aren't aliens. How many times has our disbelief in the promises of God hindered what He wanted to do in our lives? How many times has our disbelief in ourselves and God's plans for our lives hindered what God wants to do? How many times has someone else's disbelief in us and God's plans for our lives hindered what God wanted to do? Again, folks, I feel you. It hurts when someone you respect just doesn't see it. That hurts. But folks, faithfulness to the will of God. Faithfulness to the will of God. Submit yourself to that authority and stay faithful to God. God will fix it. God will open the door. God will move you forward in the plan that He has for you. Period. But we've got to do it the right way. 
When my pastor told me that, I could have, bless God, God, God spoke to me. I'm going to do it anyway. Well, God wouldn't have honored that at best. He wouldn't have honored that at all. But I submitted to Him. God honored that. He ended up opening the door in a different direction, a different way. Just like He does. Amen. Day 5, a powerful reminder of what can happen in just one day. It might take years, even decades of preparation. Situations and circumstances that we've got to go through before we're ready to step into the promises God gave us. But, when that day comes, folks, when everything collapses and everything is ready, it happens just like that. It'll make your head spin it happens so fast. You've been sitting on the backside of the desert for years and years and years. Nothing seems to be happening. Going through junk, situations, all of this weird stuff going on. But it's preparation, folks. It's training. It's getting us ready to receive the promises of God, to enter into the calling God has prepared for us. And when we're ready, He's going to thrust you right in. Amen. When preparation is done, it's go time. God's not afraid to pull the trigger, folks. I promise you that. In one day, Joseph went from being a prisoner to the number two man in all of Egypt. After years and years of weird stuff. In one day, Moses went from tending sheep on the backside of the desert to God's deliverer. In one day, David went from running from his life to ascending the throne of Judah. One day. In just one day, things can change in your situation. Don't give up if they haven't yet. And be ready when it does. Our lesson today, our scripture text is found in 1 Samuel chapter 17, starting with verse 38. We're continuing on with uh, David. Not King David yet. Still little shepherd boy David. Not much to talk about little shepherd boy David, right? He's a boy. Not much there, except what God saw in him. 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 38. Saul armed David with his armor. He put a helmet of brass upon his head. Also, he armed him with a coat of mail. David girded his sword upon his armor, and he essayed to go, for he had not proved it. And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. David put them off. He took a staff in his hand and chose him five smooth stones out of the brook, and put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had even in a script. And a sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. The Philistine came on and drew near unto David. And the man that bare the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy and of a fair countenance. And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. And said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with the sword and with the spear and with the shield. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into my hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give, it to the, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air, and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, 
and he will give you into our hands. And it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took thence a stone and slang it and smote the Philistine in his forehead, that the stone sunk into his forehead and he fell upon the face, his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and smote the Philistine and slew him, but there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine and took a sword and drew it out of the sheath thereof and slew him and cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. Amen. Overall, it was a discouraging season in the United States. Kind of like today. The economy was slugging through a difficult recession coupled with high unemployment. Americans were dealing with a shortage of gasoline and surging prices. In some states, people were only allowed to purchase fuel on odd or even numbered days based on their license plate numbers. Radicals in Iran took more than 50 American citizens hostage, causing a certain degree of embarrassment at being so challenged by a band of religious extremists. Then President Jimmy Carter announced that the U.S. would be boycotting the 1980 Fall Olympics in Moscow in protest over the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan. A dark cloud seemed to have spread across the national psyche during these years, often called a national malaise. Into that cultural stew stepped a group of 20 amateur hockey players who formed the 1980 Winter Olympics hockey team, competing in Lake Placid, New York. Few gave them any chance, since in that same event was the mighty Soviet team. They were older, stronger, more skilled, and more experienced. They were, without debate, the best in the world. The matchup between these two teams on February 22, 1980, seemed to coalesce the entire Cold War down to a sporting event. The American team was outclassed in every category except the intangibles of heart and desire. It was described by all who followed it as the classic David versus Goliath matchup. Perhaps the situation felt similar in the distant valley of Elah when a monster of a man stood towering above and glaring at the children of Israel. None wearing the Israeli uniform stood a chance against him, at least not in their own strength. He was a warrior since his youth and was in many cases twice the size of those he challenged. All the smart money was on him. How could he possibly lose? But across the way was a young man we shall study today. Nothing in his physical stature or background suggested anything other than a quick slaughter at the massive hands of the Philistine. The young man's corpse would soon lie decaying in the valley while the nation continued to be humiliated day and night by the roaring challenges and threats of their foe. Israel could only hang its head in shame and cower in fear. This was their national malaise. But you likely know the end of the story. The puck went into the net. The stone went into his forehead. The respective nations celebrated unanticipated victories. Succeeding generations have told the stories. We'll study the latter one today. Amen. In ancient times, it was the duty of kings to go out with the armies and face the enemy. So, thus we see King Saul encamped with his army here in the Valley of Elah. In fact, we find later in David's life that this gets him in trouble. First Chronicles 21, it says, It came to pass that after the year was expired, at the time that kings go out to battle, Joab led forth the power of the army and wasted the country of the children of Ammon and came and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried at Jerusalem. That wasn't the place of the king of Israel. 
The place of the king of Israel is at the forefront of his armies. Not like today, where the commander-in-chief is somewhere else. (laughs) Not at the head of his armies. So, Saul is encamped with his armies. Goliath, standing twice daily, shouting his challenge to Israel. Now, both from a political as well as a purely physical standpoint, Saul really was the best qualified individual to go out and meet this guy. He was the king after all. That immediately qualified him. But his stature... Saul was a huge guy. We read in 1 Samuel 9 and 2, There was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he. From his shoulders and upward, he was higher than any of the people. He was a big guy, folks. I don't know if he was as big as Goliath, but he was certainly the the closest. If anybody should have went out to meet Goliath, it should have been Saul. His kingly responsibility demanded it. Purely physical. He was the best qualified. And yet, we see him abdicating. Abdicating his responsibility. Rather than going out boldly in the name of the Lord, by this time, he was backslid. He was trusting in his own strength. He knew it wasn't enough. So he, along with the rest of Israel, sat in their tents, cowering in fear. David, on the other hand, still a boy, not yet old enough to serve in the army. In fact, the only reason he was even present here was because his dad sent him to go check on, it, check on his sons. See how they see how they're doing. Well, he gets up there, and he hears the Philistine crying out, "Why are you come out to set your battle in array? Am I not a Philistine, and ye servants to Saul? Choose you a man for you, and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and to kill me, then will we be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall ye be our servants and serve us." Twice every day, he'd come out and shout this challenge. David, I think, was expecting his God-fearing brethren to go out and meet the challenge. Because that's how David was. They're probably just like I am. They're not going to take this. But instead, the only thing he found was, these are the rewards that will come for the person that will actually go out and fight with this guy. And then David says, is there not a cause? In other words, the cause is sufficient, folks. It's the cause is sufficient reason to go out and meet Goliath. I shouldn't need a reward. Another way to say it is, service is its own reward. Amen. When we serve the Lord Jesus Christ, we ought not be seeking a reward or acknowledgement or fame or anything, any such thing. Service is its own reward. We are unprofitable servants. Amen. 
We are the servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. Servants that are very well loved, very well treated, but servants nonetheless. It's hard. When I'm preaching or teaching, it's hard to present it in a balanced way. The idea that He's our Heavenly Father and He loves us. And he, he desires to do great things for us and, and all of these things. But at the same time, cautioning us not to, not to get over our station. We're princes. We're princesses. But He's the King. And so, we need to understand that when we serve the King, we serve at His pleasure. And we serve for His pleasure. Uh, I'm not in this for me, for what I can get out of it. Amen. I'm seeking His glory. I'm jealous for His glory. Well, he's going around talking all this stuff, and word gets out that someone was stomping around camp with a fire in his britches, talking about shouldn't need a reward, you should just go out and do this. And that word gets back to Saul, and so Saul calls for the individual. i got to meet this guy. Let's get him out there. Well, can you imagine Saul's disappointment when a little boy David enters the tent? Really? I thought we had something going here. 1 Samuel 17.33 expresses his disappointment. Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. Again, we're judging a book by its cover. Now, to be fair, I think most of us probably would have done the same thing. Sending a little boy out to meet this giant Goliath in battle just doesn't seem right on so many levels. David explained to Saul his experience in conflict in other arenas, and told him that God would give him victory over Goliath too. How did we respond when our authority told us no? When our authority said, you can't do it. That's not what God wants you to do. Well, this is what David did. He simply explained, well, I believe that he will, and this is why. Whether Saul believed David or not, He dispatched David to the battle. Perhaps in kindness, perhaps to assuage his guilt at letting a boy do what he should be doing, Saul offered to let David use his personal armor. Now, the king's personal armor was probably the best and finest crafted armor in all of Israel. So, yay, got the best of the best here. Now, remember how Saul was described? Imagine him standing next to the boy David. Imagine this armor that King Saul was fitted. David putting it on. It's almost laughable, isn't it? This guy would have been smothered to death in this armor. There would be no David. Just this armor standing in the corner. The boy swimming around in it. 
Bible says that David had not proved it. When we're confronting the enemy, folks, that's not the time to get out prayer and fasting and see how these things work. The time to learn how to use an M16 Alpha 2 rifle is not when the enemy is charging over the hill. That's not the time to figure it out. Basic training is where you figure all that stuff out. You learn how to use it. You get comfortable with it. You make your mistakes. You correct the mistakes. And now you're well trained. You know how to use the weapon. Now when the enemy comes charging, it's second nature. You just know how to use it. Our spiritual weapons are the same, folks. They've got to be proved. When we go to face our Goliath, when we go to face the enemy in battle, and we will, and we will again, we have. They've got to be proven weapons. We can't be figuring this stuff out, fumbling around with stuff, trying to get it right when the enemy's right here. It's too late. The weapons have to be proved first. Trying to figure out how the spiritual armor fits on. Trying to figure out the weight of the sword of the Spirit. They've got to be familiar. They've got to be tested. They've got to be proved before we're sent into battle. Prayer, fasting, Bible study, memorization, our spiritual disciplines, they've got to be familiar to us long before we face a moment of crisis where we've got to begin to depend on them. They should be very familiar to us before the battle. Proven before the battle. Amen. When we see something that needs to be done, the temptation is often to think, there's probably someone else better suited to do this. There's probably someone else with better qualifications, better skills, more time, whatever it might be, than I have. Maybe you're thinking, everyone else is just a bunch of lazy good-for-nothings. No one else is doing this. Why am I the only one that sees this? Or maybe, maybe God's talking to you about this because He's wanting to lead you in a specific direction. That's a possibility too. Maybe there's some lazy good-for-nothings. But maybe not. Maybe God's putting the burden on you because He wants you to get this thing rolling. Amen. There is nothing wrong with that. If you see something that needs to be done and no one's doing it, if you need to talk to someone first, talk to someone. Otherwise, just do it. See a piece of paper lying on the floor? You don't have to get the person who's cleaning that week to, hey, there's something over there. Just pick it up. Just pick it up. Throw it in the trash. Amen. I think we're really good at that. But don't start thinking that somebody else can do it. Maybe the reason you're seeing it, maybe the reason it's you're thinking about it is because God wants you to do it. Amen. David preps for the battle. Actions speak louder than words. We all understand that. We all know that. People can speak all day long and say not a, not a thing. People can speak all day long and not do a thing. 
It's easy to speak. It's a lot harder to do. Just as soon as David received King Saul's authorization to proceed into the battle, he started preparation. Now, he didn't just rush all crazy headlong into the battle. I'm going to kill you. He prepped first. He reflected. He planned. And that's okay. That's okay to do. David used tested weapons. 1 Samuel 17.40 He took a staff in his hand, chose him five smooth stones out of the brook, and put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had even in a script. And a sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. He armed himself with the old familiar tools. Amen. Those old boring things. Prayer, fasting, Bible study, church attendance. Amen. Day in, day out. Day in, day out. Boring. But so effective in God's hands. Amen. He used tested weapons. Weapons he'd used before. Weapons he'd practiced with. David's prior experiences prepared him for his present experience. 1 Samuel 17, 34-37, this is David explaining to Saul why he thinks that God is going to deliver Goliath into his hands. Thy servant kept his father's sheep. There came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock, and I went out after him and smote him. With what? Not a sword and a spear, a sling and a staff. And delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Thy servants slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. David said, Moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of the Philistine. Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. David had fought battles before, folks. He wasn't a novice. He had fought before. He'd used these weapons before, not just in practice, but in actual battle. And the key was, he depended on God. He relied on God for the victory. And he gave credit where credit is due. He didn't say, I slew him. I took care of it. He said, the Lord that delivered them into my hand will also deliver Goliath into my hand. What God did for me in the past, He can do it for me again. What God did for you, He can do it for me. Praise God. Why is He getting all the blessings? Why is God doing all that for Him? Rejoice, dude. Because it can happen to you too. God is no respecter of persons. God's doing it for the XYZ church down the street. He can do it for this church. If God does it for this church, He can do it for any church. Amen. Remember and reflect on what God has done for you. It builds confidence in God for the present. Nothing wrong with that. I'll add a caution in a moment. But let's praise God for what He's done for us in the past. He's done great and mighty things for us in the past. Answered prayers miraculously. Sister Tammy, cancer-free. That's amazing. That is amazing, folks. God is awesome. 
And he will continue to do that moving into the future. But the caution is this. Our faith is not predicated on what he's done for us in the past. Because if it was, well, God didn't answer my prayer. So therefore, God doesn't answer prayer. And that's not true. My faith is is grounded in the Word of God. My faith is grounded in the promises contained therein. Not on what God's doing or not doing, saying or not saying. I appreciate when God does stuff. I I will rejoice. (laughs) I'm going to worship Him for those things. But that's not where my faith is based. I don't believe God because He did it in the past. I believe God because He says He's going to do it in His Word. That's why I believe God. That's why my faith and confidence is in God. Amen. I'll use the gifts that God gave me to accomplish His will. Now, David was clearly not the biggest or strongest option of Israel. Let's be real, folks. He's a boy. He's a shepherd boy. He's not trained in battle. But he's what Israel had. He's the one that was willing to go. And that's why, folks, I'll use anybody that has a desire to be used. I promise you that. If we have to file off some rough edges, fair enough. But let's get everyone to where God wants them to be. Field expedient. Amen. I want to see results. I want to see us be effectual in the kingdom of God. Praise God. If you're all we got, folks, you're our best option. You're our biggest and brightest option. And this is why. Because God chose you. When God chooses someone, that's the best option. That's the strongest option. It doesn't matter who that choice is. It doesn't. When God chooses someone, that's the best option. David put what he had in God's hands and God did the rest. We can do the exact same thing and we can expect the exact same results. Amen. We don't move forward in our own strength, our own intellect, but God's. In the name of the Lord. We move forward. We do battle in the name of the Lord. In His name. Praise God. So once armed and prepared, David didn't hesitate. He moved with purpose and intention directly toward Goliath. He got everything put on. He got everything situated. He got his stones. When he was ready to fight, he went to fight. There's a time for preparation, and then there's go time. Amen. Right now, David said it's go time. There's nothing more I can do. Let's do this. David was not intimidated by the enemy. Folks, I can't imagine how intimidating in the physical this would have been for anyone. I'm probably average height or slightly less. But to walk up to someone nine, ten feet tall, however tall this guy was, taller, with big armor, big sword, big shield, what in the world can I do with this guy? But he wasn't intimidated at all. Goliath hurling insults and taunts at David. David threw him right back. 
I'll do you one better. You're going to die. Ever, all your friends are going to die. God's going to give us victory. You're going to know that there is a God in Israel. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Folks, fear is of the enemy. I understand we need to fear God. And when we do wrong, we should be afraid. We should be afraid of, of, of judgment, of falling into the hands of a holy God. But, we don't fear God. We respect, we reverence God. We have no reason to be afraid of anything or anyone. Praise God. Because God fights for us. I think of the, uh, was it Elisha or Elijah? He prayed that his servant's eyes would be opened. And he saw flaming chariots surrounding him. Angels. There was no way that anyone was going to touch him without God say so. He didn't see any of that. All he saw was the armies of the enemy. And that might cause us to be afraid. But let God open your eyes of faith. Let God cause you to see the reality of the situation. That God's armies stand at your back. That God fights with you Himself. Amen. There is no reason for us to be afraid. God uses David to secure for His people a great victory. Keep looking at that like it's going to tell me the right time. It will not. (laughs) David's triumph became their triumph. When Goliath was dead, everyone was full of faith. Everyone was happy. Everyone was, let's go get them. Let's chase the Philistines. Sometimes, folks, all it takes is one guy to step up, one girl to step up, secure a victory in the name of the Lord, and that rallies everyone else. That builds faith in the congregation. Amen. I say that a little bit tongue-in-cheek. They they probably should have been okay fighting themselves, but nonetheless, that's an awesome thing. That's an awesome thing when when the people of God see the Lord moving. See what God can do. And they get, oh, okay, this is awesome. And they start getting faith and they start moving forward. That's a great thing, folks. God desires to give you victory over every one of your enemies. Every one of them. There is no enemy that we have that God does not want to give you victory over. Period. He'll give us victory over all of these, but we're just going to have to endure this. No, absolutely not. You may have to endure for a time while you're fighting the battle, but the plan is for you to have victory. To live from victory to victory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. We're not defeated. We're not on life support. We're not some flaccid, some some pale imitation of Jesus. Not at all. We're sons and daughters of the Most High God. We're kings and priests. We are expected to rule and reign with Him one day. We have power and we have authority over all the works of the enemy. We've got to step out and use it. We are not expected to sit back and, huh, man, I hope he goes away soon because this is, this is getting hard. 
Don't do that. He's not going away. He's not going to leave you alone. Not with that attitude. I wouldn't. If I were your enemy, I'd be, I'd be doubling down. Fight. Use the tools God gave you. Win. Allow God to give you victory in those circumstances, those situations. It may take a bit of fighting, but that's fine. God will give you the victory. We were created to be more than conquerors through Him that loved us. 2 Corinthians 2.14 says, Now thanks be to God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ, and maketh manifest the savor of His knowledge by us in every place. I can't emphasize this enough, folks. I know that we get tired. I know that we get weary, physically and spiritually. We see the condition of the world. We see what's happening in our families, our society. And it gets tiring. It gets wearying. But folks... We've got to continue fighting. We've got to continue moving forward in Jesus Christ. That's the plan of God. That's the will of God for all of us. Be not weary in well-doing, for in due season you will reap, if you faint not. When the time is right, God will give us victory. Sometimes we've got to fight these battles for our own benefit. Sometimes we've got to learn that God's going to give us victory over the, the lion and give us victory over the bear before we can face our Goliath. Sometimes we've got lessons that we need to learn. Sometimes we've got things that need to be removed or, or, or put in. And these battles, these situations, these hard times help mold us and shape us. But the plan is always victory, ultimate victory for God's people. Don't forget that. When we're fighting, when it seems like the battle is raging against us, don't forget who fights for you. The Lord God Himself fights for us. And it may seem like it for a moment that the battle is going against us. But keep fighting, folks. Because ultimately God will give you victory. Every single time. If we'll put it in His hands. Amen. No one would have selected him as a hero. He had little to nothing going for him. He was born into a large poor family in Texas who eked out their existence as sharecroppers. While he was just a young boy, his father had abandoned the family, and then his mother passed away while he was still in his teens. In order to help the remaining family survive, this terribly disadvantaged young man dropped out of school in the fifth grade to pick cotton. Though he wanted to, this poor uneducated orphan was still too young to join the military after the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor. His sister helped him by falsifying some documents. Interesting thing to put in a sermon. Regarding his birth so he could enlist, but even then he was rejected by the U.S. Army, the U.S. Navy, and the Marine Corps for being too small and underweight. Finally, the U.S. Army agreed to take this baby-faced soldier who seemingly had nothing to offer into its ranks. His name was Audie Murphy. Their decision proved to be a wise one. Rising to the rank of first lieutenant, Murphy saw combat in multiple countries in the European theater of the war and distinguished himself in numerous battles. Over the next few years, he received every American combat award for valor available at the time, as well as decorations for heroism from France and Belgium. Perhaps most notably, he single-handedly held off a company of German soldiers for an hour at the Colmar Pocket in France in January 1945, and then he led a successful counterattack while wounded and out of ammunition. For these actions, he received the Medal of Honor, the highest military award for valor. 
When asked after the war why he had seized the machine gun and taken on an entire company <laughs> of German infantry, he replied, they were killing my friends. <clears throat> Unquote. He was 19 years old at the time. No one would have selected Audie Murphy to be a hero. No one saw the potential in David. Perhaps few, including you, see what you can be. But that does not mean God does not have profound plans for your life. There is a spiritual Colmar pocket or a spiritual valley of Elah waiting, awaiting your willingness to rise to the gravity of the moment and make a difference. And you can do it. Not because you're great, but because God is great. Not because you are strong, but because your trust is in the God who is strong. Not because you have the ability, but because you walk in tandem with the one who can do all things. You need not be intimidated by the size of the giant across the battlefield from you if you will simply look up. Sorry. If you will simply look up the stature of the God who lives inside of you. Heroes come in all shapes and sizes, and one of them looks just like you. Let's all stand. Lord Jesus, I'm so thankful that being used of You, seeing You do great things in our lives, is not predicated on talent or ability or being born into the right family or the right place. It's predicated simply on our willingness to obey, our willingness to serve, our willingness to stay faithful to the commandment of the Lord our God. I pray in Jesus' name for every person within the sound of my voice that we would be faithful to the calling that You have called us unto, that we would be faithful to the commandment of the Lord in our lives, even when things rage against us, even when no one believes in us. Lord Jesus, continue to work in their lives. Continue to move them forward in Your plan. Continue to open doors of opportunity for them. Bring them to the place that You desire them to be. In Jesus' name, I pray, Lord God of hosts, that Your name would be glorified as we move forward in You. That You would be well pleased in our continuing obedience and, and faithfulness to the commandments of the Lord in our lives. Lord Jesus, we pray for our remaining service that You would move wondrously and gloriously and mightily and miraculously according to Your perfect will and according to our desperate need. Let Your name be glorified. Continue to be magnified. And these things we ask in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, Jesus. Amen, amen. Praise God. God bless you. Thank you for your kind attention. I gave you your time back. Amen. We'll be back at a quarter till, uh, <laughs> I almost said for breakfast, uh, for worship.